This program is brought to you by SoundsTrue.com. At SoundsTrue.com, you can find hundreds of downloadable audio learning programs, plus books, music, videos, and online courses and events. At SoundsTrue.com, we think of ourselves as a trusted partner on the spiritual journey, offering diverse, in-depth, and life-changing wisdom. SoundsTrue.com. Many voices, one journey. You're listening to Insights at the Edge. Today, my guest is Gabrielle Bernstein. Gabby is the New York Times bestselling author of May Cause Miracles. She appears regularly as an expert on NBC's Today Show and has been featured on Oprah's Super Soul Sunday as a next generation thought leader and was named a new role model by the New York Times. She's also the author of the books Add More Ing to Your Life, Spirit Junkie, Miracles Now, and her newest book, Judgment Detox, Release the Beliefs That Hold You Back from Living a Better Life. The Judgment Detox is an interactive six-step process that calls on spiritual principles from A Course in Miracles, Kundalini Yoga, the Emotional Freedom Technique, also known as tapping, meditation, prayer, and metaphysical teachings. Gabby is the founder of HerFuture.com, a social networking site for women to inspire, empower, and connect. In this episode of Insights at the Edge, Gabby and I spoke about how judgment functions like an addiction and her six-step process for breaking free from what she calls the judgment cycle. We also talked about honoring the core wounds that lie underneath our judgments and how the judgment cycle begins with feelings of fear, inadequacy, and shame. We talked about the difference between judgment and discernment and the judgments that many of us feel about our current president and political issues and how we can be non-judgmental spokespeople who work for social change. We also talked about why Gabby has made feeling good a priority in her life and how being judgmental and feeling good don't go together. Here's my conversation with Gabby Bernstein on her new book, The Judgment Detox. Gabby, I'm excited to talk to you about the topic of judgment and its release. This is a topic that I think is so important for so many of us, and and quite honestly, something that I've just really been focusing on more and more in my own life and how powerful it is when we become aware of our judgments and how they make us feel. I think this is something you really point out in the judgment detox, even with the title detox, that when we're filled with judgments, it can feel quite toxic, quite dark and black. So talk a little bit about that idea of detoxing from judgment. I like that you're starting with this this big question of how does it make me feel? Because I've written about how judgment is really an addictive pattern. And like any addiction, we can feel really hungover when we're done, when we're coming down from it, right? So this this pattern of judgment has become a very pervasive issue for for all of us, and we don't always realize it. And so having that awareness to start to check in and say, how am I feeling at, in the wake of my judgment is a really big step in, in healing the pattern. Mm-hmm. Now, tell me how you came, Gabby, to focus on this and to write a book, a whole book on detoxing from judgment. Tell me your own process of coming to this. So I wrote a book called The Universe Has Your Back, and it came out a year and a half, about a year ago, a little over a year ago. And when I was writing that book, there was an entire chapter dedicated to healing our relationship to judgment so that we could get closer to our connection to the universe and our spiritual relationship. And when I finished writing that chapter, I looked at the computer screen and I was like, 
oh boy, this is a book. I just realized that this is way more than just one chapter in a book. It was an entire book. And so I felt really called and inspired to get that book out now because it was right around the time of the 2016 election that I was preparing these ideas and, and ready to, 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 to make a commitment to publish this book. And so I, I, I sold it right away and it became really clear that it was time for me to get this message out now with something I couldn't wait on. And also, I think writing that chapter really gave me this like real itch to get more out. So I don't know, you're such a creative person, you know what I'm talking about. When you feel like you have to get something out, you cannot wait on it. And so that was, it it was a call. And so I felt really, really pushed and pulled to get this message out, not just for the times that we're in and the, the need for the reader, but really for myself. I was suffering. I was truly suffering. I was feeling a lot of discomfort. I was feeling a lot of stress and anxiety. I was feeling like my relationships were suffering. I felt disconnected. In many cases, I felt alone. And it was all coming from this pattern of judgment that I was really realizing needed more than just a little bit of a perceptual shift here and there. It needed a full-blown detox because I was truly seeing it as an addictive pattern. So I've been sober 12 years, so I'm very familiar with abstinence and I'm very familiar with sobriety in terms of changing a pattern, committing to a new behavior, and the positive effects that we experience as a result of the repetition of new positive behavior. And so it became really clear to me that this was something I needed to do now because the same way that I was using drugs and alcohol in my early 20s, I was now using judgment. And in the exact same way that I used the substances, it was just simply to anesthetize feelings of inadequacy, shame, and self, self-attack. So ultimately, it was just another form of addiction that was needing to be detoxed. Mm-hmm. So let's talk more about this idea of judgment as an addiction, because I don't think most people in their life think of it that way. I think most people think, you know, I'm judgmental for gosh darn good reasons. Addictions are, are other things. Those are things I'm doing to distract myself from this, that, or the other kind of pain. But I'm judgmental because there's good reasons to be. How is it an addiction? This is a great question. And, and you're putting something out that's really important. But I actually don't think people think about their judgment that much at all. I don't think they think of it as an issue. I think they feel just, I think we, I can speak for myself before doing this process. I felt justified in my judgments. I felt like they were protecting me. It was like a false sense of protection. But when I really started to dig into it, I could see how detrimental the behavior was and how it was really bringing me down. The reason I believe that judgment is an addictive pattern is that the same way we would use drugs or alcohol or work or sex or, or love to, to project out, to do something to anesthetize a deep-rooted wound or discomfort. And so when we feel that in, in efforts to avoid feeling those feelings, we use some kind of substance to get out of that pain. In the case of judgment, we would project out what we don't want to feel within. So we use that judgment as a way of avoiding feeling that pain. And the reason that this becomes an addictive pattern is because there's something I call in the book called the judgment cycle. So we are feeling those feelings of shame and inadequacy, So then we project out that shame and inadequacy onto somebody else so that we don't have to feel it. And then unconsciously, we feel a sense of guilt because the truth of who we are is not judgmental. And so that guilty feeling that we have for judging, then we project back onto ourselves and we judge ourselves for judging. And then we judge ourselves for judging so much that we feel so terrible that we judge somebody else because we don't want to feel it anymore. And it becomes this rapid cycle of judgment that's just pretty much going on all day long. And it's going on in the background. We don't realize it. We're not paying attention to it. We're, 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 like I said earlier, we feel justified in it. And we're sitting there even on our social media feed, judging someone then judging ourselves for not having what they have and then judging somebody else on social media so that we don't feel that bad about ourselves and then judging ourselves again and then judging somebody else again. And it just becomes, it just becomes this very pervasive cycle. So ultimately, this pattern has become something that I believe has kept us stuck. It's weakened our, our attracting power. I think when, we, when, we're, when we're here talking to your community, a very spiritual community that's, that I believe is always in the pursuit of getting closer to consciousness and raising their relationship to their higher power, well, judgment is probably one of the biggest ways that we block that connection. We block our power to, to manifest, to attract, to call into our life what we desire. Because when we're in a place of judgment, we're in a low energy, low vibe state. 
And in that state, we feel that great sense of inadequacy, which we continue to perpetuate through the cycle of judgment. Now, I wonder, I think it would be helpful if you would give an example, perhaps maybe something you've really great one. worked through in your <laughs> own life, especially of this cycle and the addictive nature. I have a recent one, Tammy. Okay, okay good. <laughs> so, so here I am, it was like a week ago, and a girlfriend of mine calls me and she says to me, Gabby, I was in my Kundalini yoga meditation teacher training and my teacher is sitting on the stage and she's talking to the class. And I, and all of a sudden she starts talking about you and how you're not teaching the teachings properly and, and, and put it by putting down my teachings. And when she said this to me, it sent me into this deep, deep rooted shame, feelings of inadequacy, feelings of, 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 of self attack and hatred. And I did not want to feel those feelings for one second. So immediately my response was, what kind of spiritual teacher judges another spiritual teacher in their yoga classroom? Who does that? And I start going into this rage and judgment and anger. And then all of a sudden, pretty quickly, I start feeling pretty guilty because here I am judging another spiritual teacher. And so quickly I start saying to myself, well, oh my God, I've got this book, Judgment Detox, coming out in a few weeks. How could I judge another spiritual teacher? Oh my God, what's wrong with me? I feel like such an idiot. What's going on with me? I'm so awful that I'm judging this person. And then in that shame of judging myself or judging her, I start judging my friend were actually just telling me that this happened in the first place. And I'm all mad at my girlfriend for telling me that this happened. She should have just kept her mouth shut. Why'd she have to tell me? And then I feel so guilty for telling my, judging my friend and making myself, making her feel bad for what she'd done. But I start judging myself because here I am. I've written the book, The Judgment Detox. How dare I judge, right? You see the cycle? I it's saw it perfectly. Very understandable. <laughs> right. And can you imagine that cycle in your own life? I think anyone listening might be like, yep, yeah, that sounds familiar. Yeah. And then help me connect to the addictive nature. Here you are, and you're in this cycle judging your friend, judging this other teacher, judging yourself, feeling guilty about the whole thing. How is that an addiction or an addictive process, if you will? And then this breaking of that pattern, like breaking yeah. an addiction. Yes. Okay, great question. So. So in the midst of all that, I kept going back to it. I was with my girlfriend and she was staying with me over the weekend. And I kept saying, well, what did she really say? Why did she say this? You know, just continuing, going for it, going for it, going for it. And because I've been living the judgment detox and because I put my face on the cover of this book and because I really want to walk my talk, I had the tools within me to break the cycle, as you said. And healing any addiction is really simply breaking a cycle. Like in 12-step recovery, you don't want to drink, right? So they say, what, how do you break the cycle? Call your sponsor, go to meetings. Call your sponsor, go to meetings. So you put some type of positive behavior, pray, meditate, call your sponsor, go to meetings, practice the step work. Doing some kind of positive spiritual behavior in front of the addictive pattern is what stops the addiction in its tracks. And so the same case with the judgment detox. So in that moment, I used the first step, which is I witnessed my judgment without judgment. And I said to my, my friend out loud, I'm, I am judging. I'm seeing myself in this. I'm not happy with how I'm acting. And I'm not going to judge myself for this judgment. I'm going to look at it. And in that first step, you ask yourself a few questions. What or whom am I judging? How does it make me feel? Why do I feel justified in this judgment? And what experience from my past has set me off to be in this judgmental story in the first place? And so I started to ask myself these questions. I kind of unpacked the pattern there. I could see that this, this woman telling me that I wasn't teaching properly was, make, was triggering the part of me was a sixth, sixth grader that was told I was stupid, right? Just triggering that past feeling of inadequacy. And then the second step in the judgment detox is to honor the wound. And so I really had to go deep and honor the wound, which is that little girl that was feeling inadequate. And in that second step, I use emotional freedom technique tapping, which I shared with you with you with you guys on your summit. Yes, the self acceptance. So using summit. EFT, yeah. yeah, EFT. I'm sure a lot of people listening are familiar, but it's emotional freedom technique, which is which is tapping on energy meridians while you're talking about emotional disturbances and you're healing the energetic disturbance that lives beneath the wound and the trigger. And so I saw that I was triggered in step one, and then in step two, I was tapping on the trigger. I started tapping, I feel so inadequate, even though I feel so inadequate, I deeply and completely love and accept myself. And I tapped on this wound. And then I continued into the following steps, which we'll get to if we want to. Yeah. <laughs> so I put the steps of the book in place of the judgmental pattern. And within six or seven hours, I was out of the cycle. 
now six or seven hours is long even for me now, but in general terms, that's pretty quick comeback rate, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So my hope for the reader isn't that they completely give up their judgment altogether. My hope is that they just no longer believe in it. They no longer have tolerance for it. And they have the tools in their back pocket so that they can come back fast. Mm-hmm. Now, you mentioned that in the Judgment Detox, you teach a six-step process, and you've identified the first two steps, the first one being witnessing your judgment without judgment. And I think people can mm-hmm. relate to that, like, okay, I can do that. I want to do that, I think. Mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. It's relatively innocuous. I want to witness what's going on. Oh, I'm judging. I'm not going to judge the fact that I'm judging. Great. Now you get to the second step, which I think is quite, uh, it's deep, and I want to talk to you about it, which is honoring the wound. And you write that underneath every judgment is a core wound. So that's what I want to talk to you about. How do we start knowing what are the core wounds underneath this or that judgment? In step one, we start to see the wounds when we practice those four questions. Because by asking yourself those four questions, you begin to unpack the pattern. So you'll see, maybe you see over and over again that the same, so the the four questions in step one were, what or whom am I judging? How does it make me feel? Why do I feel justified in that judgment? And then the fourth question is, what experience from my past is triggering this? And so as you start to do that enough times, and there's a journal that accompanies this book. So you can, there's a lot of pages in that journal where you can really just write those four questions out for many, many different judgments. And hopefully by the time you've done this six or seven, eight, nine times, you can see, oh, wow, a lot of the same past experiences are showing up. And so when you notice through that audit of your judgment that there's a specific experiences that continue to repurpose and resurface, you can realize for yourself, okay, wow, there's, there's, there's some pattern here. There's a moment in time that created an energetic disturbance, a wound that I've been running from, that I've been avoiding. And I imagine that a lot of the people listening to Sounds True or probably been doing personal growth work for a while. And maybe you're not, maybe you're new to this, but if, you're, if you've been here for a while, you, you may have done some work, in which case you, you may be pretty conscious of some of those wounds. You may know, okay, well, my father left when I was a kid or that teacher told me I was stupid or I felt inadequate when I was left on the playground or those experiences from our past where we separated from oneness, where we separated from our faith in our interconnectedness and the love within us. And, and that separation has just been repurposed and replayed over and over through the fear-based belief systems that we continue to project throughout our lives. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, that those experiences become the patterns that leave us, leave us left with judgment as our protector. Now, I want to talk about something that I think a lot of people will relate to here, which is a a judgment about our current political administration and our current president. You said that you started getting really excited about writing this book during the 2016 election results and thereafter. And I think someone might say, wait a second, I feel very judgmental about some of the decisions that are being made in Washington, D.C. How does that relate to a core wound that I have? Isn't that just being an intelligent, critical thinker? So there's a difference between judgment and discernment. And we we have two choices right now with this political scenario. We can be discerning and we can get out and vote. We can, you know, like we saw what happened in Alabama, you know, we can get out and vote. We can, we can let our, we, we can, we can speak up. We can, we can write about it. We can, we can have our voice heard locally. And that we can do that from a place of discernment, which means we can witness the injustices that are occurring, things that we may not agree with, things that make us feel un, unsafe in this, in this country that we live in, in the world that we live in. But we can do something about it. Or we can sit around and judge it all day long, lower our energy, weaken our power, and lose our voice. Because I think Martin Luther King is the perfect example. That movement didn't come out of a place of judgment. It came out of a place of peaceful protest. But there's a big difference. It's not about being silent. And it's not about ignoring the realities of our time and becoming apathetic. It's just about, am I going to speak up from a place of judgment or am I going to speak up from a place of discernment? And when we can dissolve that judgment, our voice has far more power. 
Help me understand further, Gabby, how someone would know in their own experience. I'm being discerning here, and I'm not moving into this. You, you know, you talk about judgment. You've a couple times you've mentioned that it's a a lower vibration, and there's a you know this as we mentioned in the beginning, a quality of toxicity to it. How do I know when I'm engaging in a conversation about current events, whether I'm coming and I'm speaking out, whether I'm coming from a place of judgment, I feel justified, I'm fired up, I'm saying all these things, or if I'm coming from a place of discernment? How do you feel? You have to ask yourself, how do I feel? Simply, if you're in a place of judgment, you're going to feel riled up, you're going to feel... Uh, maybe you feel even physical stuff come up for you. I know when I'm, when I'm in a place of judgment, my stomach hurts. I feel clenching in my chest. When I'm in a place of discernment and I'm realizing this isn't something that's right, but I'm going to speak up about it. Doesn't, doesn't feel right to me, but I'm going to take action from a place of empowerment. I feel aligned. I feel connected. I'm breathing more easily. I have clear thoughts. I feel less rageful. It's less personal. Mm-hmm. Well, no, one thing is when someone feels quite justified, what I notice from my own experience, I'll speak for myself here, is I do get that kind of toxic aftertaste, but also sometimes in the moment, I can kind of revel in it and kind of revel yeah. in my righteous anger. Like, I, I kind of enjoy it, to be honest. We get high off of it. Yeah. It's yeah. a temporary high. Yeah. yeah. It's a temporary high. Um, well, there's a lot that comes along with that. So we get temporarily high in our self-righteousness. In some ways we feel like we're protecting ourselves and we're speaking up, but, but you, you nailed it. We, we, we feel it unravel later. We feel hungover from it later. So it's like that, again, it's an addictive pattern. You get high at first and then you fall apart. Mm-hmm. Even gossiping with people, there's a temporary high because there's a false sense of connection. And then later you walk away feeling more disconnected than you ever had before you began. Mm-hmm. And I think especially when you mentioned this quality of like we're being a protector, then I feel, you know, I feel like this is a good thing to do. I'm, you know, I'm protecting something I care about. So in, in some ways, it may feel like the protection is the right response, but that's a pretty scary place to live, Tammy. It's pretty scary to live in a place where we're triggered and then we have to fight back and we're triggered and we have to fight back. And every time we're triggered, we feel we have to be righteous and fight back. It's a pretty, um, it's a pretty stressed out state to live in. Yeah. It's it's a lot of stress response, right? There's a a constant state of sort of living that yo-yo of, of reacting, reacting, reacting. One of the biggest things that happens for me as a result of writing this book is I've become so aware of my triggers. And I have these tools now to self-soothe in the midst of the trigger so I don't have to use judgment as a way of fighting back. Even just a simple example, um, I'm working with an outside party. You know, we, we work in your field, in my field, we work with a lot of different independent contractors yeah. that set things up. And, you know, I had many hours of discussion on how this one campaign was going to be set up. And then I see it set up today in, inside my back end of my platform and I see it and I'm like, what is this? Like, it's completely wrong. The opposite of everything we agreed to. And so the protector in me wants to go right into judgment. How dare they? What did they do? You know, who are these people? What's wrong with them? Sounds like a silly thing, but that hit a trigger in me. Sure. And that triggered this part of me. It's an old story from the past, which I've been able to undig from this book, a story of feeling like I'm not being taken care of. And so when I feel that feeling, I judge the person who's not taking care of me for being so wrong and so stupid and so, you know, so inadequate because I feel so afraid of not being taken care of. I I caught myself in that moment today, seeing myself go right into that rage and then using the tools in the book to unpack it. So witnessing my judgment without judgment, honoring the wound, and then, you know, taking myself through the following, through, through the rest of the steps, which you can start to do quite quickly once you've done these, these, these steps. And the third step, putting love on the altar. So the typical thought process I'd be having there would be, I, I know I'm not being taken care of. That would be the mantra. I'm not being taken care of. And the third step of put love on the altar is a prayer. And I, I put the prayer out, you know, I, I choose to see, I choose to see this differently. I choose to judge nothing that occurs here and just putting myself into a different state 
and then taking myself actually very quickly through the rest of the steps, which we can get to. Mm-hmm. Now, just one more thing, because I want to address the person who is potentially feeling an objection at this point because of the state of the world and the protector energy inside of them, who says, oh my God, I'm listening to Tammy Simon. It sounds true. And I like her work, but gosh, now the last thing I want to hear from Sounds True is that we're going to turn us all into sort of paste balls of unconditional love and light during this time when we need people to be well-informed, critical-thinking activists. And this is scaring me. We're really moving to this, let me release all judgment at this moment? Let me be clear. By no means am I suggesting that we become all love and light and ignore what's going on in the world. That's not what's going on here. But what I am saying is there's two different approaches to the ways that we show up right now. And we can show up from a place of rage and triggers because let's, let's face it. I mean, this 2016 election, any woman who had been sexually assaulted has a major trigger and wound with Donald Trump. Let's be real, particularly even right now with everything else that we're seeing. Right. So there's a real trigger, right? Anyone who has experienced any type of racial injustice triggers, right? Immigrants triggers, you know, any, like it's just everywhere. Trigger uh, anyone that every moment of the day, this administration will be triggering our childhood wounds. Uh, my therapist actually said that she'd never been busier than right after mm-hmm. the election. Right. It's like her office. She was just doing after hours with her clients because people were so because their core childhood wounds were triggered. So what I'm asking my readers and, and anyone here who feels called to to feel better in the midst of this corruption, right, is to practice these steps so that you can heal those core wounds so that when you come from a place of true healing, you have a much more powerful voice and a much more powerful stance. Because if we act out from a place of being triggered, we're, our judgments are going to weaken our voice. They're going to weaken our power. And ultimately, we won't have we won't what well, we won't be able to create the movements that we need to create now. Mm-hmm. So, it's it's not in any way saying be silent. It's saying clean up your clean up the energy behind your message before you start becoming the messenger. Very good. I think that's very clear. Now, in terms of this second step, you call it honoring the wound, and we've talked a little bit about the process by which you can investigate and identify the wound. What does it mean to honor it? Oh, boy. So we, when we start to look at the, the, all the ways that we're wounded, it can be sad. It can be, it can be kind of depressing. And it has to be in some ways a little bit of a, of, of a, of a ceremony in some ways. I, I try to look at the ways that I've allowed myself to be the witness of the wounds. And I noticed that if I start looking at all of it and I start looking at it from the standpoint of, oh my God, there's so much here. I'm, I've got, I started to see myself as a victim. But the moment that I reframed it and said, I'm going to honor these wounds as the tapestry that has made up the life that I have lived. And now I'm going to really bring my practice to these wounds so that I can heal them, truly heal them, so that I can be more free. There was a much different energy than looking at it like I'm such a victim. I have so many, so many things in my past that I have to heal and, and, and then going back into the judgment cycle. So that's why I really wanted to make it a practice of honoring your past, honoring your experiences, and in no way regretting the past. No way regretting the past experiences. They got you here. They got you to be someone who's, who's so wise and, and connected and, and spiritually uh, awake right now that you're listening to this audio. I mean, God bless you. All the experiences from your past have led you here. It's an incredible experience to be able to honor our past and say, okay, that's what it's been, and I'm ready to see it differently. Okay, and now to ground this again, Gabby, I loved the example that you gave of the Kundalini yoga teacher and you know the comment she made that was repeated to you that triggered you. And you told us how you were able to identify a wound from your childhood. Tell me what it's meant for you to honor that wound that you identified. So through the practice of EFT, I've been allowing myself to really heal the wounds. And that practice of of really 
being truly present, you know, even using the words and emotional freedom technique, even though I'm so triggered, I deeply and completely love and accept myself. That setup statement with emotional freedom technique, even that in itself, that line in itself is a, a true acknowledgement of even though I've got this stuff, I still love and accept myself. And it's, it's radical self-compassion. Because if, if we're going to have, if we're going to be brave enough to wonder what lives beneath the addictive pattern of judgment, we have to be willing to be compassionate and loving along the way. And so I think that's required. It's absolutely required. In order to do deep self-reflective work, we have to really be kind and gentle and honor ourselves throughout the process. Mm-hmm. And just to, once again, I just want to ground it in the real life example. If you can tell me the wound you identified and then the honoring of it and how that's rippled out in your life. Okay, so in that, in that instance, in that example, it triggered a part of me that felt as though uh, it was that sixth grader that was told that I was stupid. And when I went to step two, the practice in step two is EFT. And I tapped on that wound. And through the experience of tapping on that wound, I came out the other side, allowing myself to truly feel the feelings that live beneath that wound. And so to, to answer this correctly, the practice of really honoring the wound is allowing yourself to be present in the feelings that are, that are there, that live, that live beneath it. So you were able to be present with what it feels like, the sense of shame or loneliness or being exiled for not being smart enough, something like that, being inadequate, yeah. that feeling. And the word shame is the operative word because in the book, there's uh, three different tapping scripts. There's a script on judging someone else, judging yourself, and shame. And in this specific instance with the yoga teacher, I was, I was tapping on the shame. And so tapping on shame is really going there. It's really allowing yourself to be present with the feeling to bring a voice to your shame because if it's our shame can't be dissolved until we bring a voice to it. When we speak our shame, then it can be dissolved. It's when we're so unwilling and so afraid to acknowledge it, that it, it's this, it's this secret murderer. It's this silent voice that's always lingering. Mm-hmm. It's when we really allow it to be present and honor it really, like I said, honor it, that it can be dissolved. Mm-hmm. That's helpful, really letting ourselves speak it out. So in this case, it might be something like you letting yourself say, you know, I felt so terrible feeling stupid. This is this deep thing inside me. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm not really that bright. Something like that, the shame of that. Exactly. So, so while you're tapping, um, so emotional freedom technique, you tap on these different meridians. And while you're tapping, you're actually talking about the shame, right? So in this case, I was tapping on the shame. And before I started tapping, the shame was at a 10, zero to 10, 10 being the highest. And so throughout the tapping process, I'm tapping on these different energy meridians and I'm saying things to myself like all this shame, all this shame of not feeling good enough. I feel so ashamed that I'm not smart enough, that I don't think I'm smart enough. I feel ashamed. I feel triggered. I'm so rageful. I'm so angry. I want to fight back. Continue to just allow myself to tap on whatever was coming up and really let the words of shame come up. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. Who am I to teach? Who am I to do this? And then once it starts to, to, to come to the surface, we start to feel a sense of relief. And, and tapping is interesting because it's, it's like a tabletop. And there's different aspects that come out while you're tapping. And so just like a tabletop, when you kick out one aspect, it's like kicking out one of the legs of the table. And then you find another aspect that comes up as you're tapping and you kick out another leg of the table. And another aspect kicks out the third leg and the fourth leg, and then the table collapses. And in the collapse, that's where the freedom lies. And so I just kept continuing to tap on different aspects as they came up. And so the first aspect, maybe I feel ashamed, and then I feel rageful, and then it was tapping on I'm not good enough because I was stupid in sixth grade, right? And allowing all those stories to be uncovered throughout the tapping process. And that's the step. That's the exercise in that second step. Mm -hmm. You're listening to Insights at the Edge, produced by Sounds True. We welcome you to learn more about our collection of more than a thousand learning programs and receive three free gifts 
just for visiting us. Go to soundstrue.com backslash free. That's soundstrue.com backslash free. And now, back to Insights at the Edge. Okay, I want to make sure that we at least touch briefly on all six of the steps. So step three you mentioned had to do with, you call it, putting love on the altar and turning our judgment over in prayer, really letting there be some kind of spiritual intervention when we find ourselves judging. So talk some about that, and specifically, is there a prayer that you use on the spot when you're, I'm judging now, Uh uh-huh, this is the moment. Yes, there's several prayers throughout this chapter that I love to use, but one really simple one that I think is a great way to even start your day, which is simply, I choose to judge nothing that occurs. It's a gorgeous, it's a a simple, simple, simple practice of of just praying to see things differently, praying to to choose to not judge whatever is in front of you. Uh, You know, you could also simply say, I choose to see this differently. Uh, There's a prayer there's a, a prayer for acceptance that I put in the book. It's the acceptance prayer from the, the 12 steps. And um, acceptance is the answer to all my problems today. When I'm disturbed, it's because I find someone, some place, thing, or situation, some fact of my life unacceptable to me. And I can find no serenity until I accept that person, place, thing, or situation as being exactly the way it is supposed to be at this moment. That's another one of the prayers. And Mm -hmm. I put these prayers in the book. There's a prayer for forgiveness. And the way that I ask the reader to use the prayers is to really just begin to pay attention to the moments when they feel those wounds. So they've done step one, right? They've witnessed their judgment without judgment. They've done step two. They've honored the wound. And at this point, they're in a place where there's, there's less of a charge and there's an opportunity for that perceptual shift. And the prayer is, is something that can be used interchangeably all throughout the day, whatever is going on. But to really simply make a commitment to use a different language rather than the language of judgment. Because it's easy, it's so easy to fall right back into that self-righteous place of protection. Because really, that's such a default button for all of us, that, 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 that big, that, that protector mode. And so through prayer, we surrender, we release the protector. We say, protector, you can step aside now. And we allow a, a voice of our higher self to step in. And that's the beauty of prayer. It's just a very passive experience. It's just, it's, it's, it's a practice of surrender. It's imperative if we're going to begin to change the pattern, because no matter how much heavy lifting we do with the tapping and the witnessing, we need that prayer as the next step to begin to get out of the way. Have you identified, Gabby, that there are certain judgments They happen for you, and you immediately go to prayer. No big problem. But there are other kinds of judgments that you hold on to for a longer period of time. And what category of those judgments do you tend to hold on to for a longer period of time where you don't go directly to prayer? Uh, Okay, well, really the big ones when I feel, if if the wound that's been triggered is the wound of of feeling like I'm not being taken care of or I'm not being Mm -hmm. respected, that that that's the one that when I'm judging from that place, it's harder for me to jump into prayer. That's mm-hmm. why I really need those first two steps before I can pray. But to your point, there's some judgments that show up uh, right now where I, I can go right to prayer. I can go right to prayer. I can find my way right to prayer. Uh, what I'm not feeling is triggered. It's easier to go right to prayer. What would you suggest to someone who has a judgment pattern where it's really turned against themselves and they judge themselves for something like, oh, I'm eating chocolate again right here. This is the sugar moment. And there's a judgment. Mm -hmm, judgment. mm -hmm. What's a prayer they could use right in that moment? In that moment, it's an opportunity. I think I wouldn't go straight from I'm eating chocolate and I'm in my sugar moment to I'm perfect, I'm wonderful, or, you know, affirming something different. I think that I would pray for an intervention. Thank you, thank you, Spirit, for helping me through this moment of, of, of discomfort. Thank you, thank you, God, thank you, universe, whatever you choose to believe in, for, for helping me through this moment of discomfort. Whenever we ask for help, we can put in the place of the, uh, of the pattern a spiritual intervention. We can invite in a power greater than ourselves to help, help realign us with 
our our inner guidance system. And that that asking is a very powerful, profound prayer. And just to make sure this is clear for people, why do we need spiritual intervention? Why can't we just go through the process of detoxing our judgment without this turn to spirit or God? I think that if you don't identify as a spiritual person, you could potentially, you could absolutely still use the practices in this book and you could look at the prayers as, as, as intentions or affirmations. You don't necessarily have to believe in a higher power to use these practices. Uh, although throughout the book, a lot of the practices are designed to help you get closer to that connection to your higher power. And so it can happen really, I mean, truly, when it comes to to spiritual principles, I don't want people to get hung up about the semantics. If, 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 If the idea of prayer is a hang up for someone, I don't want that to deter them from following these steps. So they could simply say, well, I'm just setting a new intention, or I'm using a different language, or I'm changing my inner dialogue. Because... It's, it, it, it's never my, my intention as a spiritual teacher is to be very free about the way that I teach. I don't want to in any way make people feel like it has to be this type of meditation at this moment in the day and for this amount of time and I have to pray this exact way. That's just another form of judgment. My hope is that people can find really my primary intention and the through line behind all the work that I do and all the books that I write is to help people establish a spiritual connection of their own understanding. And if they don't want to call it spiritual, that's fine with me too. I just want to help people feel better. So call it what you want, really. Mm -hmm. Okay, summarize for our listeners in brief step four, five, and six. So at least we have the overview of the six-step process. Wonderful. Okay. So step four is to see for the first time. And this is a, this is, I, I can explain this step actually with, with, a, with, a, uh, with a story. So when I was writing this chapter, when I was about time to write this chapter, I didn't know what it was going to be yet. Truly the, the steps came to me. There was an outline, but it changed as I wrote because so much was happening in real time. I was dealing with some issues with my dad and like most, like many people, there's a person or family member in your life that just sort of there's reoccurring stuff that comes up. And my father and I were on a typical phone call, a Sunday afternoon phone call, and we were just kind of struggling with each other, fighting back and forth about some unnecessary things. And at the end of the call, he said to me, you know, Gabby, I feel really judged by you. And I thought to myself, well, I am judging you, dad. <laughs> And in the middle of writing a book called Judgment Detox, and here I am judging you. At which point I, I, I just you know, said, okay, maybe that's something I really need to bring to the practice that I'm writing about right now. And I thank you for bringing this to my attention. I said, okay, fine. I'll see you next Friday night for dinner. And then we're going to go to Temple for Poppy's yard site for my grandfather's anniversary of his death. And so I met my father for dinner that Friday night. And then very, as typical, Bernstein style, my family, we showed up late to Temple because that's what we typically do. We walked in very late, walked into the back row, and I sat back in the back row and listened to the rabbi's sermon. And of course, that night, the sermon was all about compassion and kindness and oneness and deepening our connection to love. And I just was just in awe of, of how perfect that assignment was for me to receive that message that night. And at the end of the service, the rabbi said, I want to acknowledge this family that's in the audience tonight. And it's it's the Bernsteins. I want to acknowledge Edgar Bernstein and and Max Bernstein and Gabby Bernstein are here in the audience tonight. And I really want to acknowledge Edgar because Edgar is here every year on his parents' anniversary of their yard site. And he's always here to celebrate his elders. And I really acknowledge Edgar for never missing their anniversary and always showing up for him and his mother and his father. And so this year I went into the archives, he tells this whole story, but he went into the archives of the temple registration cards and he pulled out my grandfather's membership card that he had handwritten with his name, Seymour Bernstein, and he pulled it out to give it to my father that night. And so he, he acknowledges my father and he, he walks up to my father and gives my father this membership card. And I see my father standing in the aisle, just hysterically crying and just so proud to be acknowledged. And I, in that moment, all I could see was a man being honored by his rabbi. I could see a man who was part of a congregation. I could see a man who had shown up 
year after year to celebrate his elders, a man who was very loyal to his faith and a man who was very vulnerable and sensitive. And in that moment, all of my stories from the past were dissolved and all I could see was him for the first time. And that's, that's, I just wanted to share that story because it's the best way for me to describe what this means. It's to see someone through the lens of the present moment, seeing them in their light, seeing them in what is thriving about them, in what, what they are bringing to the table, what is working, rather than all the stories and the pretenses and the traumas from the past that we want to hook into. Mm-hmm. And so it's a, it's a challenging step for people, particularly if somebody has been really harmed by another person. But in that case, it may be seeing someone for the first time would require that maybe you just see that person as a spiritual assignment, someone who has brought you to your knees so that you could to grow more and learn more and become a stronger person. So there's, there's practices in this step about really using compassion and presence and seeing someone through the light within them so that you can have that experience, hopefully, of seeing them for the first time. Yeah, and it sounds like also through the eyes of compassion, seeing their pain, seeing what they went through mm-hmm. to get to this place, what made them. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's exactly right. Okay, That's step exactly five. Right. Step five is to cut the cords, and there's, there's six uh, meditations in this chapter. And those meditations are beautiful practices. They're designed for the reader to practice over a six-day period each morning, And after each meditation in the morning, they would do a little reflection and see how they feel throughout the day. The meditations are designed for people to get closer to oneness, their practices in forgiveness. And the goal of these six practices of meditations are to cut the energy cords. So when we have a real hook with uh, energy, with a judgmental attack on someone, we're sending out this almost energetic dagger and there's a cord that is attached. And so that, that invisible cord, whether you call it a cord or just a vibe or a feeling or an emotion, it, it can be felt. So even, and, and you know it, when, when, when you've had a breakup or even though you may not have seen the person in six months, you still feel so energetically tied to them, right? And the goal of these meditations is to really cut those cords so that we can feel a sense of freedom and we can also let the other person off the hook. That's a big intention here of these steps. So... The six meditations build upon each other to really give that person that experience of freeing themselves of that energy cord attachment. And they're beautiful meditations. It's interesting that you focus on the energetic level of our judgments. I mean, it's one thing to go through this process in our minds and understanding, but yet still this fifth step of saying we actually need to get in there at a feeling-based level. And it sounds like release, a real release. Yes, you nailed it. Because... When we care, here's the thing, we could walk around and say all the right things. Like, I'm not judging. I've said to my prayers. I've done my work. I'm I'm saying nice things. We can still feel that hook. That can't necessarily always be healed through a prayer or through an, uh, through, through an affirmation or, or, or through, or through compassion. Sometimes it has to happen on a, on a more subtle level. It has to happen in a more contemplative state. And so a lot of my greatest forgiveness and my greatest healing has occurred on my meditation pillow. In that chapter, I share a story of a real dark, dark judgment that was lingering and I just couldn't heal it. And the only way that it was going to be healed was through cutting those cords on my meditation pillow. Mm-hmm. Okay. And step six, you call it bringing our shadows to light. This is the forgiveness step. And I strategically placed this step as the last step because I felt like by the time you've done all five steps, you get to this final step and you're in such a beautiful place to genuinely allow. And what I love most about the way that I've been taught the practice of forgiveness as a student of A Course in Miracles, I've been really taught to for, that forgiveness is, is, is a choice we make. And it's not a major act that we have to, have to take. It's an experience we have to receive. And it, that, that receptivity of the experience of forgiveness comes through the choice that we make, comes through the moments of witnessing our judgment without judgment and honoring our wounds and putting love on the altar and seeing for the first time and cutting the cords. Those are all five steps to really preparing us to get to a place of really just allowing those shadows to dissolve into light because they, those steps have prepared us to come to a place of the genuine willingness to be free. And so 
in this chapter, I talk about how the practice of forgiveness is much more passive than we imagine. It's not necessarily something we have to do. It's something that we have to allow. And, and it, that can come through our, 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 the cumulative effect of these steps and our willingness to forgive. Now, interestingly, Gabby, you're emphasizing this allowing and receiving, but you're also saying that the big move is the choice, the choice to forgive. And I mean, that's something we do. It is. And that's the nice thing about forgiveness is that it's, it's almost like we have to look at the ways that there, there's three steps that I reference based on the principles of A Course in Miracles in this, cha- in this chapter. Witness the ways that you detoured into fear. Choose that you want to forgive instead. And the final step is allow spirit or allow God or allow, allow presence of the spiritual connection to set that forgiveness in motion. That third step is really passive. It's not, it's not up to you. It's, a, it's, 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 it's about surrendering and allowing and just letting the universe do her thing, truly. It's getting out of the way. And so once we have that awareness, this isn't what I want and I choose to forgive instead, uh, miracles will occur. It's, 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 it's a beautiful experience, it, but it, it has to come from a genuine desire to forgive. Mm-hmm. And you just mentioned this first step, witnessing our fear. And when you talked about some of the hardest types of judgments for you to let go of. It it came down to a deep fear of not feeling safe. And I wonder if you can connect for our listeners this idea of whatever it is that we're afraid of and how that can relate to the judgment cycle. The judgment cycle begins from that place of fear. So we only if we were not afraid or if we were not in a place of shame or inadequacy or place of separation, we wouldn't judge. Because why, why would we judge if we felt great, if we felt good about ourselves? Why would we be judging? And so that, that feeling of fear, that trigger of shame, that's the place that we judge from. And so when we, when we through these practices, they're all practices of truly reorganizing our relationship to fear, and reorganizing the relationship to those fears so that we can offer them up at the end and really ask for them to be resolved. Mm -hmm. And even as you were talking about how our current social situation brings up many core wounds for people, many of these deep fears, you know, there's a fear, I'm not going to be safe in a world where we're on the brink of nuclear war. I'm not going to be safe in a world where the environmental crisis is spiraling out of control, et cetera, that, you know, many people underneath the judgments they have, there's a lot of fear, understandably. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, and I really want to talk about this a little bit more because I think that it's, again and again, I think I'm going to continue to come back to the fact that sometimes that, that fear isn't necessarily a bad thing in the moments when it wakes us up and says, I got to get out and vote, right? Or I got to get out and I got to do that thing because, or I got to speak up or I got to call my, my, my Congress people or whatever it is, because I, we, you know, we, we have that fear as a guiding light towards what we know needs need to change. But it's when we continue to dwell in that energy of fear that we perpetuate the problem. And that's why I really want to have people going through these steps at this time. These steps are not meant to make people apathetic. These steps are meant to give people more power. Okay, there's two more questions I have to ask you, Gabby. And these both came up from reading the end of the Judgment Detox. And towards the end of the book, you write in a section called Make Feeling Good a Priority. You write this. I made a commitment to myself, my family, and my readers that feeling good was my number one priority. And I thought that was so interesting because obviously, as we talked about in the beginning of this conversation, when we're feeling super judgmental, we may feel kind of on some kind of righteous gorge, but it's not the same as really feeling good and feeling peaceful and at the type of quote-unquote high vibration that you're pointing to as possible. So talk to me about this commitment you made to make feeling good your number one priority. Ah, so I, I really loved your questions. You're an amazing interviewer. Thank you. I appreciate you today. <laughs> I appreciate you for really taking your time with this book too. So um, I 
love this part of the book as well. And I'm so glad you brought it up because ultimately when I was able to really do these steps, I was able to really see how detrimental that judgmental pattern was to my, my, my energy, my, my physical body, my relationship, my, my work, everything in my life. And so as I started to heal and I started to feel better. And then when I started to feel better, I wanted to, to, to take that to the next level. So making that desire to feel good, my priority is also saying that I'm making a commitment to living the judgment detox practice day in and day out, doing my best to continue to come back to these principles and feeling good. So when I set out to write this book, I really asked myself, who do I want to be? What is the kind of person I want to be? And I realized I want to be the kind of person who in the midst of gossip chooses a higher level story or chooses to stay silent and say a prayer or in the midst of attack as a prayer for the person instead of fighting back. I want to be the kind of person who can stay calm when I'm triggered and have the tools to come out of it quickly. And so that, that desire, that clarity of who I want to be and how I want to function in the world is completely aligned with my desire to feel good. And so when I make feeling good a priority, I get closer each day to being that person that I want to be. Mm-hmm. You know, Gabby, I think the reason you're appreciating this conversation is that, as I mentioned in the very beginning, this is an issue that is really important for me to investigate. In exploring the judgment detox, I realized I have a lot of justifications for my judgment and that they yeah. keep me from feeling good, but I feel so justified in them. I have this idea that there's something more important than feeling good, that being mm-hmm. like a righteous citizen is more important. Protecting my business from people taking advantage of me is more important. I have a lot of justifications that are unexamined, and I think that's what I really came to see in studying the judgment detox was how important it is that I examine these justifications for my judgment. Yeah, I appreciate you so much for having the willingness to go there because that that's exactly, I mean, it's, we, we feel so justified in our judgment and we feel so terrified of the idea of what if I let that go? Who would I be if I let that go? Would I be giving up on protecting my country? Would I be giving up on protecting my business or my relationship or myself or whatever it is? Who would I be? And I really challenge all of you out there listening to really question that, who can I be if I give this up? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then the last point that I want to talk about is you write towards the end of the book, in my own spiritual practice, my main focus is on my comeback rate. And you talk about this idea of a comeback rate in your life. And I thought that was so interesting, and I want to end on that note. What you mean by that and how we can increase our comeback rate. Great, great, great. So I'm not putting this book out there expecting myself, you, anyone to, to read this book and never judge again. It's just not going to happen. What I'm hoping is that you just come back fast. That you have the capacity to, to, and the desire to feel good and the desire to feel free, the desire to be that person in the world that that brings more light rather than more justification and rage. And so through those strong desires to be that type of person, you use these practices to come back fast. And so the ways that we come back, so when you go through this entire six-step process of the judgment detox, you'll start to feel a shift within you. And my hope is that you can use these steps interchangeably. Once you've taken them all the way through, use them as you need them. In any moment, you can say that prayer or you can sit down and cut the cord through a meditation or you can choose to see through the lens of compassion and see for the first time and just use them and use them and use them and just bring them into your daily moment-to-moment practice. And as you start to live these practices, the last chapter of the book is live the judgment detox. As you start to live these practices, you come back faster and faster and faster. So I'm not so concerned about how perfect of a spiritual student you are or how infrequently you judge What I'm most focused on is how quickly you come back to love. Mm -hmm. Okay, Gabby, I do have to just tag on something here. This idea of feeling good as your number one priority and coming back to it, so the comeback rate, coming back to releasing judgment and this place where you can have this non-judgmental place of feeling good, 
feeling the sort of light worker empowered in you from a clear and centered place. Is feeling good the highest priority or are there other things that might be a higher priority than feeling good? I'm curious about that. I think feeling good is the highest priority because I can quote Wayne Dyer here, when we're feeling good, we're feeling God. And when we're feeling in alignment with the presence of God, that's when we can show up for the world in the best way possible. That's when we can be the best parent we can be. That's when we can be the best employer we can be or the best student or the best wife or or child. That feeling good is, is the highest priority, in my opinion. I'm talking with Gabrielle Bernstein. She's the author of a new book called The Judgment Detox, Release the Beliefs That Hold You Back from Living a Better Life. And I know reading this book has helped me really investigate my own judgment in a very, very important way. It's an important book at this time, I think, that we're in, The Judgment Detox. Gabrielle, thank you so much. Thanks for the conversation and your good work. Thank you so much. SoundsTrue.com. Many voices, one journey. Thanks for listening.